0: I want to welcome all of you who are worshiping with us online. We're so glad that you're spending this time with us, uh, whether in person here, online, or elsewhere. Uh, I have some great news in our online ministry. Um, We're going to be doing a baptism Sunday, September 25th, and uh, we're going to be doing our first baptism for somebody here in person who's a a young adult who's been worshiping with us for two years online. And they're going to drive over an hour to be here. I think that's amazing. So I'm I'm excited about that. So, uh, Dakota, if you're out there, I see you. Um, But uh, to all of you out there, we're so glad technology has opened a way for us to be together, even when sometimes we can't be together. Um, We're in our our series, Wise Cracks, which is looking at the wisdom literature uh, in Scripture most notably the book of Proverbs. We're winding this down. I've never done this deep a dive in the book of Proverbs. If you tell me that you've sat down and read, read Proverbs cover to cover three times in your life, you're probably lying. Uh, if you're like me, we tend to read Proverbs like the farmer's almanac. We kind of pull out some things here and there, discard others. But as I've spent this time, and Pastor Kurt, kicked us off in this because he's kind of our resident Proverbs theologian. He did a deeper dive in seminary than some of the rest of us. So he's kicked us off. He's going to close us out on Labor Day weekend. I'm going to hit here today in two more weeks. But doing this deep dive, as Pastor Steve said a couple of weeks ago, man, it really convicts you. And it really challenges you because you can't just take one little thing out about wisdom. You've got to see all the narrative of wisdom. You can't just take one out little thing out about speaking. You've got to take all of the narrative of what it says about speaking and listening and parenting and being a child and being in friendships and spending money and being in relationships and being in broken relationships and repairing relationships. It's all in there. It's all in there. And so uh, the, the wisdom literature is the book of Proverbs, uh, Job, Ecclesiastes, um, Song of Solomon, and the Psalms. And it's been really powerful to spend some time in there. And one of the things is that God's wisdom is different than the world's wisdom. That's one of the things that really comes out. In fact, if you were with us during Advent or Christmas, we had a lot of fun this past year. Our our series was Dia de los Tres Reyes, which was about the three kings, and it was a nod to our Hispanic brothers and sisters and Latino brothers and sisters because in many parts of the Latin and Hispanic world, uh, three kings celebration is equal to Christmas in some places, more than Christmas. And we looked at deep dive about the wise men, right? Look at the word, wise. Man, they were the Magi. Who were they? They were the intelligentsia, like they were the scholars of the day. They were—they did everything. They were at MIT. They were at Stanford. They were at Princeton. They—you know—they were experts in everything. Uh, if you want—you know—if you needed a talking head on the news show, you called the Magi in. And at the at the birth of the Christ child, to a poor unwed mother, two scared teenagers. Poor, have no place to be, and the savior of the world is an infant in, a, in an animal feed box. What do these people do, these wise of the world? They bow. And it was God's way of saying that compared to the wisdom of, of God, the wisdom of the world is foolish. And God will make the wisdom of this world bow before God's wisdom. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he said, where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? So if we're going to know that word foolish, if we're going to know what wisdom is, we need to know what the opposite of wisdom is, and that is being foolish, being a fool. Right? So I want to first talk about what is a fool. The Old Testament wisdom literature talks about being a fool. It's, it's not a lot in the New Testament, although there's one person Jesus called a fool. I um, will look at that real quick. But, but it's, it's all throughout the Old Testament. Would it surprise you to know that three-quarters of the time that the word—and there's different words for fool— but it's referred to in, in the Hebrew Scriptures are in Proverbs. So Proverbs is teaching us about wisdom, but saying you'll never know what wisdom is unless you know what foolishness is. And when you are being a fool, and who is a fool, right? And didn't you love my title today for your rugged American individualism? What kind of fool are you? Because if if I hit this right at the end of the day, we're going to realize we all are. But we can be redeemed fools. That's the beautiful thing. So, what is a fool? In the secular world, in the world's wisdom, uh, if you if you hunt through all the dictionaries and etymologies and and word uh, you know construction, etc., you will find that a fool boils down to two things. Okay, a a fool is out of touch with reality. They're out of touch with the way things really are. That's a fool. But only if it's attached to B. B is People who ought to know better. So if you're out of touch with reality, the way things really are, okay, um, and you ought to know better, you're a fool. So if a four-year-old touches a hot stove, they're not a fool. They don't know better. But if a 16-year-old or an 18-year-old or a 50-year-old touches a stove, you're a fool. You know, because you ought to know that you're going to get burnt, right? You ought to know that because that's the way things really are and and honestly there are many fools among us (laughs) one probably preaching here today but I learned this because I went into the, you know, the corporate arena. I came out of the corporate arena. The corporate arena has no dog in the hunt. The corporate arena only thinks about one thing. It is the bottom line, right? They need to make money or, or you know, save money. That's what it's about. It's, it's, what did Martin Luther King Jr. say? Money's like electricity. It's neither good nor evil. It's what you do with it. And the corporate arena, that's what it's all about. So they don't have a dog in the fight. They're just speaking to reality to try to get you know, more wealth. That's what they do. And I was interested to find out that there are warning labels on their products. You ever seen one? Come on, you have. Warning label so that they have to put there or else they might get sued. And I found five warning labels. I said, oh my gosh, are they recognizing there's a lot of fools among us? Here's here's five. The first one, uh, on a Duraflame fireplace log, anybody use those? I do. Do you know there's a warning label that says, caution, risk of fire? You, you needed that one, some of you did, okay. Um, I bought this thing so it would be fire, right? Uh, I, I saw online, there's a Batman costume. Now, not for kids, these are for adults. You know, adults like to play like kids on Halloween and other times. On this adult Bat-tube, Batman costume, it had this label. It says, warning, Cape does not enable user to fly third one, there's a bottle of hair coloring and I I don't want to mention the brand, but over the counter, CVS or whatever, Walgreens you can buy it to color your hair do you know there's a warning label on it that says do not use this as an ice cream topping it's true hey, if they wrote it Somebody did, right? Um, I, cardboard sunshield for your cars. You've seen those? You put them in the windshield so the car doesn't get too hot. Everybody seen them. More popular in Arizona than Cleveland, but they're out there. Do you know there are warning labels on those things that says, do not drive with the sunshield in place? And this was my absolute favorite one. It was on one of the biggest manufacturers of infant strollers in the country, portable strollers that you fold up. Do you know there's a warning label on all of them that they make that says this, caution, remove infant before folding for storage. Oh, that one you said, Chip, I can't laugh at that. That's just mean. But they had to put it on there, right? So the truth is there are a lot of fools in the world. But the Bible goes further than that. The Bible says they're not just out of touch with reality, they're out of touch with a particular kind of reality. And there's two points that Proverbs makes. That biblical fools, fools are out of touch with the fact that when our God created the world as an artist, as an inventor, as a craftsperson, that God created order in the world. That there is order in the world right? So he separated the the boundaries from the dry land to the waters. There's order. Now, science agrees with this. Nobody contends this, right? That there's order in the world, right? There's a physical order. Scientists will tell you, you can't eat anything. If you go out and eat some kind of plants, they will kill you. That's natural law, right? I don't care if you put a Batman costume off. If you drop off of Terminal Tower, you will die, because there's this thing called gravity, right? God created order. And, you know, and some people say, well, you know, the, uh, I believe in the Big Bang Theory. Great, I do too, wonderful. Who made the dust? Who made it explode? And who created out of that dust, right? Oh, I believe in evolution. So do I, right? But who started life? And there's evidence that life evolves in a world where everything's decaying and dying, including you and me, the fact that there's some parts of life and plant life and animal life that are evolving, man, doesn't that point toward the resurrection and life? Yeah. So, so yeah, there's order. It's not haphazard. You can't say, well, it all just happened as an accident. There's too much order even in the natural world that science has discovered that there's no way this could have just happened by accident. There was intentionality right? And so we need to know that. But here's where science stops. But Proverbs and biblical wisdom goes forward and says, there's not just physical order, but there's social and moral and spiritual order as well. And if you violate those things, just like if you violate physical order, physical life will break down. If you violate, let's take, for example, social order, then social order will break down. See, we got this thing going on in our country right now, and it's pervasive, and it's all about individual rights. which is fine, right? I tended to surrender all my individual rights when I came to Christ, just letting you know that's me. <laughs> Jesus said, you know, if you're going to be my followers, deny your individual rights and take up your cross. It ain't going to feel good. And leave the past behind and follow me. That's another sermon. But the point is when we focus all about my individual good and forget about community, social order breaks down. That's right. So greed, right? What, what does greed do? Greed creates disparity of wealth. Greed creates, you know, divisions with the poor. And greed destroys personal, I'm sorry, not personal, but social order. And if you read Deuteronomy 15, check it, Deuteronomy 15.4, you can fact check me. Deuteronomy says, if you do what God has instructed you in the social order of things, and the way God has ordered it, you will never have a permanent class of people anywhere that will be known as the poor. But because we're greedy and selfish, and I, I can be the worst man, by self-centered, and you know, what Willie Nelson said, enough is always a little bit more, right? We break down social order. And God forbid we go into slavery. You say, well, there's slavery in the Bible. Yeah, but nothing, not the African slave trade, not human trafficking, which is a form of modern day slavery, because those forms believed that a person could own another person that was created in the same image of God that they were. And it breaks down social order. And so anybody anywhere that ever owned a slave, they may have been smart or whatever, but they were full because they were out of touch with God's social order. And it's the same thing with God's moral order and God's uh, uh, spiritual order, right? Um, and so who is God speaking to? Who's Proverbs? Proverbs is speaking to relativists. You know who relativists are? Relativists are, oh, it's all about your point of view. It's whatever you think, you know. Um, I'll just make it up as I go. And God says, you're a fool. That's why Psalm 14, 1 through 3 says this. Fools say in their hearts. There is no God. Now, the heart wasn't a touchy-feely. The heart was the operating system in Hebrews. Fools say in their operating systems, there are no God. They are corrupt. They do abdominal deeds. The Lord's looked down from heaven on humankind to see if there are any who are wise, but they've all gone astray. And you're a fool. Second one, that that's the doctrine of creation. The other is the doctrine of the fall. That we, you, you may know that there's order in the universe, but you forget that, that, that sin and evil have broken the world. Now that's not an excuse to not do number one. Like I've had pastors come to me, yeah, you know, pastor, I did this and I did that and I should have known better. But I'm not, I'm flawed and I'm, yeah, well, okay. Yes, we are. But that's not an excuse. But what it is, is he's speaking here, not to relativists, he's speaking to moralists. Moralists believe, well, if I just do all the right things, everything's going to be great. Or worse yet, the prosperity preaching says, okay, oh, give God 10,000. He's your divine money manager. He'll return it tenfold. Not in the Bible, right? Because that's just another way to manipulate God and control God because I'm still in charge. If I do these 10 things, then God will bless me. Then God will listen to my prayers. Then God will take me to heaven. And we forget the fact that you can do everything right and you can love God and you can submit yourselves and you can be aware socially and spiritually and morally and things can still blow up in your life. You don't believe me? Jesus was the most moral, spiritually, socially conscious, grounded person with God's order in the history of the world. And look how his life ended up. And that's why he said, in this world you will have trouble and suffering and things that go wrong, but trust in me because I have overcome the world and that 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 is in the wisdom literature really of the book of job the book of job God says job is full of integrity you know what integrity means in the Hebrew he's doing everything right and all hell breaks loose in his life now his friends showed up now when they shut up for a week they were helpful when they opened their mouth have you ever heard the statement when you say nothing people might think you're a fool so don't open your mouth and let them know that you are right and they opened their mouth, and what was their problem? They knew there was order in the universe, but they either didn't know or they forgot that the world has fallen. So they persecuted Job. Job, if all these bad things are happening, you must have done something wrong. I can't tell you the families that I have ministered to who are out of church so far away, and I love to be with non-church people. They keep me alive, keep me fresh. But I have ministered to people who have actually been broken by this kind of terrorism. I ministered to a family who were absolutely sure that they were condemned by God and didn't have enough faith because their pastor and the church leaders told them when their child died of cancer, that if they had enough faith and prayed enough, their child would have lived. That's fools. They're, they're religious fools and God speaks to that. So God says, leave your simple ways, the ways of the simple-minded, and you will live, walk in the way of insight Insight into what? Into these two realities There is order, you can't just make it up as you go And we are broken And in need of a savior Right? So the first group, the relativist Forgets that Jesus is Lord The second group, the moralist Forgets that Jesus is savior And we need it both Right? So here's the thing that you're not going to like I want to let you know there's a variety Of fools Because here's what ha- there are and there's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speed through them here. Probably going to preach a little longer today, but that's okay. Dre and Leo were short, so I got you. Um, but there's a variety of fools, and it's not just one word for fool. Because, and that helps us because we think we know what a fool looks like and who the fools are, right? You know who they are, and they're not you. But when I go through this definition that there are different kinds of fool, I hope we all feel a little dirty. Okay, all right, here, let's go. First, if we look at that, that opening scripture that Tanisha read for us today, it says what? How long, oh, simple ones? That's a f- Hebrew word for a fool, simple ones. Will you love being simple? How long will scoffers, and sometimes mockers, that's a kind of fool, right? Delight in their scoffing. And then fools hate knowledge. Fools, this word is the most common word. So I'm going to hit the simple ones first, the fools second, the scoffers third. Ready, set, go. Okay, the first one, simple fools, is a Hebrew word called petayim, right? And it means simple fools, gullible, naive. And the scripture is the simple believe anything. In fact, you can translate that to simple belief, everything, right? But the clever, the prudent, the wise, they consider their steps, right? So the the simple fools are easily seduced. They're easily led. They're led by all kinds of uh, leaders. They're just, they're, they're, you know, they bounce from thing to thing, okay? So simple fools were pretty sure that John F. Kennedy Jr. was coming back from the dead. Do you remember that? And he was showing up in Dallas. And then because he missed his plane to Dallas, he'll probably show up in Atlanta. I mean, you know, it's just... I'm not trying to pick up, but it's just they believe anything. They'll believe everything, all right? They're so easily led, and they're usually led to where the energy is. They don't care how sound an argument is or isn't, they just want to know how loud it is. The more louder and firmer you make it, The more they believe it, you have people go home and, boy, my pastor got after it today. He was really, and I get animated, and some of us do, because I love the gospel. But there was an old saying, and Pastor Stephen Scott have heard, that back it used to say, shout when you don't know. That's what Martin Luther King Jr. used to say, don't forget, still waters run deep, and you can have more religion in your hands and feet than you have in your heart and soul. So just because somebody may get loud, I may be loud and, and actually be saying something that's totally outrageous. That's why the prudent discern. But the simple fools, man, they just want to go the energy of the room. The louder you are, the more dramatic you are, the more sensational it is. that's where they want to be, you know why? Because they want to be with it. Because if somebody criticizes them, it destroys them. It destroys them. And these are simple fools, right? Um, and that doesn't just mean unlearned. You can have more degrees than a th- thermometer and be a simple fool. And I have met sisters at our Liberian church in Africa that never went to school and don't have a degree, and they're some of the wisest people I know. So you don't get a pass on that. But simple fools are easily led. Okay, the second one, which was the last one, is a word that's called kassil or kassilum, and it means stubborn fools. Oh, this one hurts me. My wife has told me more time than one. boy, you are so stubborn. Freeds are so stubborn. my um, We have a lot of German in us. I'm a mutt, just like you are. We all are. I'm not 100 I used to pretend like I was 100% German. Nobody's 100% anything in this world. And that's why we're thankful for the Revelation 7 9 church, right? Um, but I, I have a lot of German in me, some in, uh, influences, Pennsylvania Dutch. And one time, my mom used to throw any birthday party, she had a theme. You know, you have to have a theme. You're freed. We're yellows. We have to have fun. And so she threw a German birthday party. So all of us had to wear German garb and, uh, you know, wear it up. And, and so my, wife, my wife's a good sport. Uh, not an ounce of German in her. We've checked. Um, but she's got a few other things, but no German. But she dressed up, put her German stuff on. But she had a little protest pin on. She never told me about, but I saw it. We came to this freed gathering, and she, you got to keep, you know, put the freeds in their place. And it, on a button it says, in her German stuff, she said, you can always tell a German, but you can't tell them much. Stubborn fools, right? I I read about, uh, I I do a lot of travel in Canada, some of you know. And there's a town in Canada called Valley Valley View, Alberta, in, in the province of Alberta. And there's something that's very peculiar. There's a half mile in this open pasture of a half mile fence that's two feet apart we got a picture of it. We're going to throw up there. There they are. See, down by the post there, up here. It's kind of odd, like two feet apart. There's two fences. It's just odd. And when you, if you study what happened, there were two cattle farmers there, one named Paul and one named Oscar. And Oscar, uh, Paul thought it would be a good idea to put a fence up, between their cattle farms, because Oscar wasn't using his pasture at uh, that time for his cattle, but he, he was going to have to. And so Paul said to Oscar, why don't we put up a fence and we both pay for it? And Oscar said, no, I don't see any need for it. He was focused on his own self, and no, we don't need that. So Paul went ahead and built his own fence. And so one day Oscar saw it, and he came out there and said, oh, I see we have a fence now. And Paul said, what do you mean we? <laughs> he said, I, I have my land marked off. And I intentionally built that fence two feet from my property line. And if any of your cattle come into that two feet, I'll shoot them. And Oscar knew he would do it. So you know what Oscar did? He built a fence two feet from the other fence. So now you got two fences in Valley View, Alberta, two feet apart. Paul and Oscar are, are dead and gone, but th- these two fences live as a testimony to the cost of stubbornness. Being stubborn fools, right? The last one's the worst one. The first two, Proverbs says, there's some hope for these people. Simple fools, stubborn fools. They, you know, they can come around. They can turn around. But the last one is what's called the let seem, right? Let seem or let And it means ruthless fools, ruthless fools. These are mockers and scoffers. And Proverbs says, there's not a lot of hope for them. And what they are, you know, the, the simple don't like criticism, the, the stubborn shrug off criticism because they know everything anyways. The, the, the let's seem, the mocker they love criticism. They live for conflict as long as they're given it. But if you give it to them, you know what their policy is? I'll make you pay. I just had a Cleveland commercial come in my mind. Anyhow, um, but they will. They'll make you pay. For the criticism. I mean, they love conflict, but they're, 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 they're scoffers, they're mockers. They love to give it. Um, they love to pay you back. They're exploitive. Everything's about them. It doesn't matter about anybody else. They're proud. They're arrogant. They're incorrigible. They don't listen for correction. They abuse those who try to correct them, and they mock the things that are of true value. And when Jesus was on the cross, what did they do? They mocked him. Remember? ruthless because that was of true value, but no, they're of true value. And if you get in relationships with these people, because they usually, they're very, they're very successful. You know why? Because they're ruthless. So they're very, sometimes very wealthy. They're good at business. They could be good at art or other things. They're ruthless. They got, they got one thing in mind. And if you get in relationships with them, as soon as you can't perform any need for them, they'll drop you like a hot potato. And if you go to them and say, I thought we, didn't we have a relationship? Didn't it matter? They'll say, no, it didn't really matter. Only married when you could do something for me. And here's what the Bible says, which is really tough. I didn't write this. It said the scoffer, here's Proverbs. The scoffer is an abomination to all. Not to some, to all. Proverbs 24, 9. So what do we do? Do you all feel a little dirty <laughs> to get hit on somewhere in something I said? Stubbornness hit me. You know, all of us, right? Here's the deal. Who's a fool? Here's what Proverbs says. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Meaning we're born fools. We're all fools. We're all fallen. Number two. We're ordered. There's an order to our bodies. There's an order to creation. But we're foolish and we fall short. Um, So can we save ourselves? No. We have no ability to save ourselves. Let me illustrate that. But we do have a master worker. (laughs) We do have a human architect that came into the world to show us a better way, right? And, and we can connect. Let me illustrate this with the Apostle Paul. You know the Apostle Paul, wrote most of the letters of the New Testament and great church planner. Paul, before he was Paul, was Saul. And guess who Saul was? He was one of the wisest people with the world's wisdom. He had gone to all the right schools. He studied under Gamaliel, which was like studying under Socrates or Plato. He was learned. He he had more degrees uh, from the finest places. He 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 was so sure of himself. He was so righteous. His own he nobody was more spiritual or religious than he was. But when the light of Jesus Christ blinded him, he realized he was a fool. He realized he was an arrogant fool. He was a stubborn fool, and he was a ruthless fool. He he murdered Christians sure that he was right and they were wrong, right? But Paul went away for a long time. You know, we think like Paul, Acts 9, fell down the road, got up, preached Jesus to all the world. He didn't. He spent 13 years before he went on on missionary travel. What was he doing? Looking at in the mirror, looking at his own foolishness, deconstructing the world's wisdom, reconstructing with God's wisdom. And look how he is when he comes out of that time. He says in Romans 7, I know I'm a fool. He says, the good that I want to do, I don't do. This is after his conversion. The good that I want to do, I don't do. The very things I don't want to do, I do do. Who will save me from this? But thanks be to God who gives me the victory through Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, if you look at me, it's me. But It's not me, it's God in me. And I can do all things. That sounds like he's getting his little foolishness again. But he says, through Christ who strengthens me. And at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, when he says, if you have, you have all this knowledge and you have prophecy and, and you can play music like nobody's ever played it and you can sing like nobody's ever sung it and you give millions of dollars to charities, but you don't have love, you're worthless. You might as well be thrown out. And at the very end, how does he sum it up? When I was a child, I thought like a child. I spoke like a child. Who's he talking about? His PhD, former self. I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. But now that I'm becoming a man, I gave up childish ways. Now we see only in part as looking in a dim mirror. But one day I will know fully, even as I am fully known. What's Paul saying? He said, yeah, I'm aware of my own foolishness, but God is growing me up. I understand that I'm a fool, but I understand the power of God that's available to me if I submit to his teaching, if I follow his ways, that God can grow me up and restrain the foolishness of my heart. So I want to end with these words. I, I, my title was, What Kind of Fool Are You? But we all know well, we've got a lot of that in us. But here's the more important question, i save it for the end. Whose fool are you? Did you hear those words that were read, Tanisha read? You may have missed it. Pastor Kurt, who started this series, he told us there's this kind of mysterious figure in the book of Proverbs. It, wisdom is personified in a woman. Throughout biblical scholars call her woman wisdom. And she speaks. Wisdom speaks to us. And did you hear wisdom speaking in these words? It it, it just broke my heart when I reread them this week. It says this. When God, this is woman wisdom speaking. When God established the heavens, I was there. When God drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he decided to see its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundation of the earth, then I was beside him like a master worker. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he was a master worker because not one thing came into being apart from him. And apart from him did nothing come into being. And what came into being with him was life. And the life was the light of all people. And the word became flesh. Who's speaking to us as woman wisdom? And I was daily his delight. Did you see it? Daily his delight. When Jesus went into the waters of baptism, the heavens opened. The Holy Spirit came down from a dove. And God spoke from heaven and said, You're my child in whom I take delight. Who's speaking to us as Mother Wisdom? And he said... I- I was playing before him always. God, I love that image. Playing in his inhabited world and delighting in the human race. I'm going to tell you, friends, no matter what kind of fool you are, no matter how foolish you've been, you better understand that God delights in you. Jesus delights in you. When he looks at you, he sees himself. He sees the work of his hands. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more than he does. And watch this. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. He takes delight in you. He's delighting in the human race and now my children watch this listen to me happy are those who keep my ways be wise be wise doesn't say be happy <laughs> happy is happy, happenstance it's what happens to you my, when, my mom is the most godly woman in the world she's really the one that brought me to faith when I would leave the house she never said to me hey hey Chip go be happy you know what she said to me go be good be wise be upright. Be thinking. Whose woman wisdom? It's Jesus. Men, you are just gonna have to get over that one. Jesus didn't have a problem with it. You remember when he went to Jerusalem? He wept over it. And what did he say? Just like a mother hen reaches out to gather her chicks, I reached out to you, but you wouldn't come. And look what mother wisdom speaks at the beginning of these words that we had. She said, wisdom cries out, in the streets, right? If you guys can find that one. Wisdom cries out in the streets. In the squares, she raises her voice. At the busiest corner, she cries out. How many of you remember when Jesus went to Jerusalem for the festival of lights and all this religious stuff was going on and he stood up and he screamed and he cried out, let anyone who is thirsty come to the waters. Let all who are thirsty come and take a drink she cries out he said because i've called you and you refused right and you didn't heed my counsel because you hated and did not choose the fear of the lord right and this is the problem in our world i don't care what party you're in i don't care what persuasion you are neither one has the fear of the lord because they're all sure they're right and they don't know they're fools and the more they talk and the louder they get the more foolish they are We need to fear the Lord. Those who listen to me will be secure and will live their life at ease. Now you say, oh, that was that mean? lap of luxury? No, it means what Jesus said. Come unto me when you're beaten up and broken up and weary from your own foolishness. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Jesus says this in his own Proverbs at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. What does he say? He said, everyone then... Who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like a hello, wise person who built their house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words, words of mother wisdom, words of mine, words of life, and does not act on them will be like a fool, right? Who built their house on sand. How many times have we built ourselves houses on things that are not of the rock. Not of the created order. And guess what? There are sand castles and the tide is coming in. And the wind blew and the storms came. And the house fell. And great was its fall. Now, when Jesus had finished saying these things, they were astounded. Why? Because he was God's wisdom on earth. He taught them as having authority and not as loud mouth preachers like me. He is God's wisdom come to earth. Acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. Admit your own foolishness. If you're sure you're not a fool, it's a pretty good sign you are. Right? So don't, be in touch with it. It's okay. Nurture your inner fool. (laughs) That wasn't in my notes. I just made that up. Y'all were acting so like serious. I had to go Oprah for a minute. But seriously, discipleship, you know what it means? Literally, the word disciple means to be an apprentice apprentice ourselves to Jesus that he might direct our paths. Let me close with the last thing I promise. I'm I'm way past my time. Paul said it this way, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. God decided through the foolishness of our preaching to save those who believe Christ, the power of God, and The wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than than human wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom of God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In order as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We're all fools, friends, but you can be a redeemed fool. Let me close with, there's been a lot of redeemed fools that have, shaped my life through their writings. And one of them was a, was a walking proverb. Her name was Dorothy Day. I'm dating myself way back. She was really doing her ministry before I was ever alive. But I wrote every word, read every word that Dorothy Day said. Dorothy Day was a child of a journalist. She was amazingly smart. She was a hippie before there were hippies. So she was the pre- predecessor of Pastor Terry, you know, who's really smart. They're all smart, right? But she, Dorothy Day happened to be an atheist, but at 30 years of age, she heard Jesus call her. And she realized she was as wise as she was. She had almost won Pulitzers. She was a fool. And she went and got baptized. She was an activist. She fought against poverty. She marched into civil rights. She fought for women's right to vote. She did all these things. And she didn't change her activism, but she, but she empowered it through understanding the power of God. And Dorothy Day was a walking parable. I I wrote down some parables of hers that I love. Now, some of you are going to ask for these after service. I promise I'll put them in tomorrow's e-notes. You want to hear some of Dorothy Day's proverbs? How would these change the world? The greatest challenge of the day is how to bring about a revolution of the heart, a revolution which has to start with each and every one of us. How about this one? There is nothing we can do but love. And dear God, please enlarge our hearts to love each other, to love our neighbor, to love our enemy as our friend. What changes would happen in the world with that one? I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. Somebody say ouch. Okay, say it on the way home. Just look straight forward. Pretend I'm preaching to the person next to you. You get in a car, you're going to go ouch, right? I really only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. Those who cannot see Christ in the poor are atheists indeed. A couple more. No one has a right to sit down and feel hopeless. There's too much work to do. Isn't that good? And you know what she says? My strength returns to me with my cup of coffee and reading the Psalms. She knew where her strength came from. The older I get, the more people I meet, the more convinced I am that we must only work on ourselves. Quit trying to fix everybody else and grow in grace. The only thing we can do about other people is to love them. Anybody say ouch? Okay, good. I got three people No, they're fools. Okay. The final word is love. True love is delicate and kind, full of gentle perception and understanding, full of beauty and grace, full of joy unutterable. There should be some flavor of this in all our love for others. We are all one. We are all one flesh. With such a love, one would see all things new. We would begin to see people as they really are. As God sees them, love and evermore love is the only solution to every problem that comes up. Can you say amen? amen? Those are proverbs of Dorothy Day and they're proverbs that affected my life. And this is my favorite one. I'll close with this. If I have achieved anything in my life, she wrote, it's because I have not been embarrassed to talk about God. You see, I'm such a fool that I'm never afraid of appearing foolish because I am a fool for Christ. Are you? Let's pray. Lord, um, you wrote in your word for the way of the world, the, the cross seems like foolishness. But to those of us who are being saved, who are being grown up, it is the power of God. God revealed to us places where our foolishness can overtake us. But please let us know that we have a master worker that we can apprentice ourselves to. Jesus, you came in the world to redeem our foolishness and to be with us, to guide us, to instruct us. It isn't good enough to know about God. We need to know you, where we can speak to you, where we can subject ourselves to correction, where we can pray, where we can read your word, where we can gather to worship and recognize those places where you want to grow us up to be like you. Do some surgery today, Lord, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. And now wherever you go to lunch today, you can say to people around you, this morning, my pastor called me a fool.